I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. There are a lot of things about mental health in Kurdistan, uh, Iraq, and the Middle East in general, which are sort of assumed by people uh, who don't necessarily know a lot else about the region. Uh, I'll say generally speaking that the stereotype goes that because of uh, family pressures, religious emphasis, gender roles, a myriad of other societal factors, uh, mental health ranging from everything from depression to psychosis often gets swept under the rug. Uh, And there is truth to the stereotype, absolutely. But I find often uh, when talking about how mental health isn't prioritized here, the conversation can get very two-dimensional very quickly. Everyone seems to have uh, an anecdote about how their friend had some, you know, nightmare experience with a super religious doctor or something like to the effect of that. Uh, And I'm not saying that's not the case sometimes, but I do find that oftentimes people will use stories and, and and anecdotes and excuses like that as a way to justify that because mental health care here isn't perfect, uh, nor is it perfect anywhere else, by the way, uh, that that should justify why they or you shouldn't pursue help, uh, because I, I genuinely believe that that actually just serves to deepen the, uh, the cyclical problem of stigma around the subject here. Uh, so I'm just going to start with my own experience. I first became interested in covering psychiatric practice out here uh, because I became a patient at Holaire Psychiatric Hospital. Uh, it's the public health care clinic here uh, where I can access free consultation and medication, uh, which I, like plenty of others, require here. Uh, and I'm very grateful to be receiving that help. Um, and since going... I have begun reaching out to psychiatrists and mental health professionals to discuss some of the issues that I see at this hospital and in, in general here. Um, among the issues that I've found, the two that stand out the most to me are an issue with overcrowding um, and a lack of proper privacy for patients and doctors, which I would say is really because the facilities are far too small to be able to properly provide care and discreet counseling for people who are potentially in a very delicate mental state and need that space and discretion uh, to be able to get the proper care that they need. The two other issues uh, uh, that I'm going to briefly just mention beyond these two are are sanitation at the hospital is also an issue, uh, particularly for overnight patients. And also the way that the security deals with patients is best characterized charitably characterized as uh, incredibly underskilled. Uh, the the security at the hospital are not at all qualified to deal with a patient suffering, for example, from a uh, manic episode. Uh, and sometimes there have been incidences of violence uh, towards patients when there didn't need to be. Um, the state of the public psychiatric hospital here is just one aspect of the conversation that I have today with my guest, Dr. Mohamed Hoshnau. Uh, he has worked as a psychiatrist at Holer Psychiatric, and he actually now has his own private practice. Uh, Dr. Hoshnau also served as the spokesperson uh, for the Ministry of Health during COVID. So he has experience with communicating medical information uh, to the general public, which is a thoroughly underrated skill. Uh, I'll say that we really did try to cover as much as possible. Uh, this is an enormous topic. Uh, but what we began with 
uh, is a discussion of the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic uh, and Statistic Manual for Mental Disorders. And you can kind of call it the Holy Bible for Psychiatry, but it's it's a field manual which covers the proper treatment and recognition of different psychiatric disorders, and it's the standard by which all psychiatrists around the world are held to. And we begin with talking about the DSM-5 because it's important to me to sort of take different aspects of that manual and see how or if uh, they are applied properly in the KRI. Um, And then from there, we branch off into different issues ranging from, you know, issues with misinformation and malpractice in the medical field here to sort of larger systematic issues with healthcare and mental health care here in general. Um, So I apologize for the long intro, uh, but again, this is a big topic. Uh, So that's enough for me. Here's Dr. Mohamed Hoshnow. One, two, three. Let's start. Perfect. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm glad I caught you before you left. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you still don't know when you leave, correct? I think it will be in the next two or ten days. Well, for the people who are listening, it is uh, nine o'clock in the office right now on a Friday. Uh, so <laughs> I'm glad I uh, I'm glad I got you, even though it's uh, it's dark outside. Sorry. It's okay. My pleasure. So, <laughs> could you actually tell me where you're going? <clears throat> uh, I'm planning to relocate, maybe, or I'm not sure 100%, but uh, to UK London for study for myself and my wife. We both do our mas- second master degree. Uh, she's interested in pedagogy, way of teaching, and I'm interested, as I expect, in psychiatry. So why don't we start with talking about psychiatry as taught in, uh, in in courses, and I want to start specifically with the DSM-5. Yeah. Could you explain to me what that is for the for the listeners? So you have a guideline. You have a specific guideline to be followed in every specific, specific specialty to, in order to avoid bias, to avoid personal opinions when you are not 100% sure about something, to follow scientific approach, to... Uh, serve the patient to do no harm for the clients who come and seek help and they they believe that you have something that they don't have it, which is they, they study apparently because and 100% you don't have something that they have. So the only thing is th- there should be a guideline that mutually accepted and worldwide sh- would be followed. There are some kind of debates about the, the DSM-5, but it's the only scientific uh, guideline plus the ICD-11, which is, again, another guideline would be followed worldwide for the disease to uh, uh, how to handle uh, the mental health issues and disorders and illnesses. And again, as I said, it is uh, the, the purpose is to be uh, clearly out of any personal bias and personal opinion, only for low scientific guidelines. So one thing that I think is important to bring up straight from the get-go here is what we'll be discussing is largely things in the DSM-5 uh, that are either not being met or not being recognized mm-hmm. uh, in, in Kurdistan. Yeah. And... I think it's important to understand the DSM-5 as an inherently political thing, and that mental health is a political topic. Yeah. For example, in the past episode that I did uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, on LGBTQ rights, uh, one of the things that was brought up uh, consistently was mental health issues in the community. Mm. And this is a topic, and why don't we actually just start with here, how 
for example, do LGBTQ individuals uh, uh, struggle with receiving psychiatric help? In, in Kurdistan, yes, yeah. in briefly. But the thing with DSM-5 is that previously in other DSMs, it had the, the LGBTQ, uh, as we regard as disorders and illnesses, mm -hmm. after uh, they revised the, the DSM and it, it went to new research and new evidence came up. Now it's not regarded as illness and uh, the, the thing is now in uh, in KRI, uh, specifically for LGBTQ, it's not 100%, it's not followed. The thing is when it I personally, I think it's the the cultural perspective for 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 the for the for the group, and sometimes the religious i i idea and ideology, mm -hmm. and the other things is lack of scientific trainings, workshops, seminars on this specific topic. And I would say, again, it's not followed 100%. Could you give me some examples of what some of the shortcomings are that you've seen? For example, in in I would say in one of the cases in the hospital that. Uh, a young female came there. She said, "I'm uh, interested in women, and I think I'm a lesbian. And uh, shall I be treated as a psychiatric patient?" The response was from the the, the 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 person who was supposed to provide help that she had literally said, "You are a piece of dirt, and I should throw you out with a tissue." And mm. if if the 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 as I know, they may probably end up putting you in a prison or if the these guys know they do this and they do that this is when when she had some kind of questions because we have a state in 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 mind and they, that people of lgbtq go through we call gender dysphoria is when they start asking questions about their uh, their their biological being and their their gender and their sexual orientation and their gender expression so probably she was in the state that start asking questions then this is the answer she, she had received. And I would say uh, it's most probably would be like on daily basis, I would say, if if they are they have courage to come and speak out. So when we talk about, for example, LGBTQ uh, issues or other issues, we need to also discuss sort of the layout of the uh, psychiatric hospital. Mm. So we have three different sections of the hospital correct we have yeah. acute chronic and then we have the outpatient clinic and child psychiatry and child psychiatry yeah. could you explain to me the functions of those four different sections yeah for the outpatient is for for those cases who come and seek treatment there's a, a consultant psychiatry with a resident doctor they see the the, the patient and uh, it is overcrowded usually and uh, the doctors cannot find a balance between either to dismiss some of the clients which are uh, I think it would be very, uh, it will be literally impossible because most of them financially are like very, very, very poor and they cannot provide any any further like cash or something to come up next day or next time. And on the second hand, the consultant is obliged to see more than 30, 40, sometimes more than 50 cases per three to four hours, mm -hmm. which is again, scientifically, it is impossible to uh, to serve them and to give the right diagnosis and management. So this is the, the outpatient and this is the problem with the outpatient because you have a limitation of time, limitation of staff, limitation of and even medications that sometimes has to be provided for the for the clients. Concerning the acute, uh, we have a few beds that I would say it will do the job sometimes and sometimes not. The problem with the acute is 
the 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 there will be mixture of the of the clients of the patients together. Mm-hmm. Someone who has a specific type of illness. Let's put it: someone who is suffering from schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. Uh, sometimes they will end up being in the same room with someone who is having depression, mm-hmm. or someone who's came there and uh, want to be detoxified from some substance or addiction of, of some kind of substance. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a limitation of space, but I would say it's much better compared to the outpatient. Concerning the third party is the chronic. Chronic is, I think it, it, it acts as a shelter for those who have no, no house or no, let's put it, no home. And uh, they, they, they receive treatment, they receive food and shelter but again it's very limited and we have no place for women in the chronic in Erbil mm-hmm. so in case a woman need to be admitted in a hospital in chronic session they has to be, it has to be referred to to Sleimania in another hospital which is they can accept women again limitation 100% the fourth part is child psychiatry uh, I think it's the, the best part in the, in the hospital people come and get treatment but in all of the sections we lack the uh, support of psychotherapy and uh, efficient counseling and social workers intervention. So the common theme uh, that sort of links all of these together is a lack of space. Yeah. And to bring it back to the what we were talking about with LGBTQ issues and, and other vulnerable members of society who might seek help at this hospital, mm-hmm. a lack of monitoring. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about monitoring for psychiatry as well as monitoring for psychotherapy and I think mm. it's I think now is a good time to actually explain to listeners what the difference between those two practices is psychiatrist is someone who is a doctor have finished and graduated from medical university mm-hmm. uh, he can prescribe medication she can prescribe medication and should be only graduated from medical background mm-hmm. she is or he is a doctor psychotherapist is someone who has studied s- clinical psychology can handle uh, emotions and thoughts and feelings with what what's known in public as talk therapy. They provide sessions. Usually the sessions for the psychotherapy is longer than the psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Psychiatrists just do the diagnosis, which means what do you have, what, what are you suffering from, and prescribe medication. The role of psychiatrist is only medication and psychoeducation, giving education concerning the psychological state. Mm-hmm concerning talking and counseling and sometimes techniques for problem solving these are all related to psychotherapy in Erbil most of them are psychiatrists we have very limited number of psychotherapists as far as I know we have two or three who are active in whole Erbil and uh, they have their own their own clinic and we have some internationals here but they are not in public sector I'm talking about public sector and uh, they are very very limited and it's as I said there's no proper monitoring for them because they're only two. There's no one to uh, like to to monitor what they are doing because the the whole hospital is managed only by psychiatrists mm-hmm. and the clinical psychology is relatively new in in Kurdistan. We have only one university in in Koya that provides graduates and recently there's a, a new uh college in Duhok. I don't know if they have graduates or not, but it's very new. I think the whole Iraq had Koya only until the last two or three years. And what kind of monitoring would be necessary to make sure that there's no malpractice in both psychiatry and psychotherapy? We have something uh called audit, which we don't have it. Okay. Uh, the the audit is for example, I 
uh, I'm senior house officer, which is um, a psychiatrist to be. Uh, for example, that a patient comes to the hospital, I should ask questions, fill the file, and uh, ask what, what he or she is suffering from. Then I would start with the consultant psychiatrist, uh, how I managed to treat. Then during the, his stay or her stay in the hospital, uh, there will be change in the medication, in the management. This is monitored by the psychiatrists. But concerning the psychotherapy, there's no one to monitor. I am as a psychiatrist cannot, for example, monitor someone who's internist because it, it's not my specialty. Mm -hmm. A gynecologist cannot monitor my, my psychiatry. Same right. thing with the psychiatry and psychotherapy. The psychiatrist would be monitored easily by the psychiatrist because we have too many of them. But psychotherapy, we have very limited. I, if, if as a psychiatrist, probably I know some of the... Uh, techniques in, in psychotherapy just out of my interest. Right. But it's absolutely out of my specialty to know and to monitor. The monitoring should be someone who is trained, who is in, in high level academically with huge experience and find like, for example, logbook or what have you done with this client? How was the last session? What's your plan for the next session? How you tackle this problem? What's the problem with the client? So this has to be what we call a logbook or file for the patient and should be monitored every session. And this is where basically medical practice can conflate with political interest, for mm -hmm. example, or personal ethics. Uh, for example, not just with LGBTQ issues, but uh, as, as we discussed before we uh, began this interview with uh, drug abuse. Yeah. So could you get into, specifically with drug abuse, uh, what are sort of the complications with treating uh, uh, addicts in, mm -hmm. in, in Kurdistan? When someone becoming dependent on a certain substance, including nicotine, uh, alcohol, and other kind of stimulants, what we call crystal, meth, or this, uh, According to DSM-5, mm -hmm. they has to be seen as a patient, not as a, not as a criminal. Until the last year or last two years, they were criminals in, in Kurdistan and they had to be put in prison. So even if you just, uh, uh, for example, if you try only once and they know you have tried and they, they send you a test, for example, and you came back positive for this type of, of drug, then you're a criminal. And lately, with the huge efforts of some uh, active civil, let's put it, civil activists, and now the, 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 the rule is there. The new guideline is they are not regarded. But still, in, in reality, we don't see that. Uh, they they still being uh, uh, seen as a criminal, and a lot of them have gained a lot of time in the prison. Concerning the, the only users, which is now globally regarded as patients. Concerning the traders, those who bring and distribute, mm -hmm. they're 100% criminals and they have, uh, they should be uh, seen as a criminal. And the problem with that is that the political, uh, most of them, they have some kind of political affiliation or mm -hmm. backed by some kind of political party, political high authority persons. Right. Some of them, they are responsible by themselves. And I think this issue is worldwide. But again, it doesn't mean that we can sit and just say it's worldwide. It is, it's first my responsibility as a psychiatrist to, to come out and speak. And then, as, as we talked about, health is a political issue by itself. So it has to be politically intervened to, to, to just put a limit for that. So, for example, when we were discussed earlier about the acute section of the hospital, mm. you discussed maybe someone uh, is trying to detox yeah. uh, from drugs. If you were to admit someone who tested positive, if you take a urine sample, for example, and they tested positive for, let's say, crystal meth, that person would have to go to prison. Uh, 
not if they visit hospital by themselves. Okay. This is the good thing, the positive. Like if you seek treatment, anyone who seeks treatment, they would not be seen as a criminal. And if they happen to be seen by someone or like uh, being asked that if you use it or not, if he, if they say I'm on treatment and they can pro they provide evidence and we have seen a lot of that, then they are not regarded as a criminal and they would be supported and encouraged. So this is the, the, the main concern for people who try to get help but they are afraid of. So I, I will take this as an opportunity whoever whoever listens for, for, to this podcast, podcast that say if you are trying to seek treatment, you're 100% safe. Mm -hmm. If you visit a psychiatric clinic, private hospital that have a psychiatrist or public hospital, from that point, you would be 100% safe from uh, uh, legal wise. I want to talk about the treatment as well of patients who are in the clinic. For example, someone uh, uh, undergoing severe bipolar mania yeah. or uh, a, a schizophrenic patient. Could we talk about uh, malpractice in terms of treatment with the patients, for example, with security uh, mm -hmm. at the hospital? So uh, we have malpractice everywhere like not in psychiatry, in every specialty and in every country. The thing is, is uh, again, first, how it could be monitored. It's not easy because, as, again, there are a limited number of psychiatrists. If I am not practicing, probably I'm the one who is responsible for, to do the monitoring. Who's going to monitor me? Mm -hmm. uh, this is because there's a lack of data. And we have a phrase we say, if you have, if you, if you cannot measure, you cannot improve. Mm -hmm. So, what what cannot be measured cannot be improved. How do you measure number of patients? You see, and response rates, and when you have nothing, what what are you trying to improve? And uh, the reform should start with the data. We have no data concerning this patient came as this complaint and received this treatment, and this is the result. So it's not easy to identify the malpractice, but hundred percent we say there's uh, there is malpractice i want to because there's no data for example i want to get into the the topic of overprescription yeah because if we don't have any data for example with uh, uh, psychotherapy uh, a big issue is that if there's no data to go off of there can be an issue with overprescribing medication 100% no? that's yeah. the problem for example i could be one of the the psychiatrists who overprescribe medication mm -hmm. how you can monitor me when i haven't Recorded and as a, for example, let's say you are the, the one who is responsible for min monitoring as, as the hospital director, as a head of the community, as a syndicate, or someone. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> when you haven't measured, uh, you haven't ob like obliged me to, to, to record all of my patients. Okay, there are some rules on paper which is not followed, mm -hmm. but uh, I should record every single patient, the complaint, and the treatment plan. And next time, follow up what. What's the change? So when you have no data, I would say I haven't prescribed it. I haven't overprescribed the medication because I would say I have prescribed five medications. Maybe the patients needs only two or three, but I'll just justify the third one and the fourth one. And this leads to the other topic that we talked about regarding the, the relation between the doctor and pharmaceutical companies. Because mm -hmm. probably I have a contract with a specific company. I want to like overprescribe specific type of supplement of medication or specific type of medication related to a specific company because when I overprescribe I get more bonus from this company so again comes back to the same point you have no data and it's not easy to be monitored but the 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 the, the approach would be first of start with the data second continuous le trainings education and learning for the psychiatrist because 
uh, I would say if if there is a mandatory training for the psychiatrist, it has some kind of effects on mentality and on, on the psychology because at the end of the day, we are human beings as well. You beat me to the punch with the uh, uh, talking about financial incentives and the conflict of interest between uh, psychiatrists and pharmaceutical mm. companies. But this was something that you came across specifically when you were working as spokesperson uh, mm. for the Ministry of Health. Could you get into and you, this doesn't just exist within the field of psychiatry; it exists in all the medical fields in Kurdistan. Could you get into some of specifically the issues uh, that pharmaceutical companies and uh, doctors have in terms of a codependent relationship? Yeah. We have a lot of uh, kind of let's say contract between them. Some some of the doctors they build they they have the building by themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. The pharmacy is owned by the doctor, mm -hmm. so they oblige the the patients to buy the medication specifically from this pharmacy. Some of them they don't have the building, so they just have a contract with a specific company. For example, you have company X, I have Y, and someone has Z. I, I'm going to just give an incentive or just propose a travel for the, for, for a doctor with, with his family or just buy him an iPhone or something. This is a gift for you, just for your support that we call support. So like we don't say deal. Previously, they were using deals or mm -hmm. contracts or something. Now say, doctor, we are supporting you. It's mm -hmm. only support. It's scientific support, which is not. I don't know if, if any relation between an iPhone and scientific support. <laughs> so uh, they just prescribe a some tablet or something. And this doctor is going to write the uh, generic name for this medication. For example, you have something called citalopram, which is the scientific name. So... I'm a doctor, I should write citalopram mm -hmm. on the prescription, but you have uh, something called citapress, something called lacetal, something called a lot of uh, medication. These are generic names. Probably most of them are very good companies, but it's not scientific and it's not ethical to write the non-scientific name. Anything other than citalopram is not scientific. Uh, they have their own justification when you have some kind of fake medication in, in, in market. So they just want to make sure that, that the, the, the patient gets the best quality. But again, this has many dimension. It is the responsibility of the KMCA, quality control, and the, the Ministry of Health to and the syndicate and the, the, of, of the pharmacists to, to monitor this stuff. And I'm as a doctor, I'm only... Uh, I only wish to focus on my scientific academic background and just write C-Talopram, nothing else. So when a company proposes that, I would accept the, the deal, the support, I would accept. And when you come to, uh, like, for example, as, even as a monitoring, I would say this is because the, the market is full of the fake drugs. So I am obliged to see, to, to write this. So they can justify easily. Again, uh, I would say the, the psychiatrists are angel compared to other specialties. Mm -hmm. And the private hospitals, for example, you see the, the client as a surgeon morning in the public hospital, then you have to go back to the private hospital to do the surgery and to pay more. Or in public, you should wait for six months for the surgery. Right, because there's enough space. Yeah. Okay. Something that you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, which I think is uh, something that we can maybe draw from, there are a lot of political affiliations with drug dealers. Yeah. <laughs> Could we talk about the relationship between pharmaceutical companies and the politicization of pharmaceutical companies and doctors? Mm. Have you seen any uh, issues with like partisanship in medical practice? Uh, as a political affiliation, they ha they have no direct contact with the, with the doctors mm -hmm. who are the consumers of the medication. 
and with the patients who are the customers. Mm -hmm. uh, but m some of the companies, they are owned by political affiliations, pe persons and parties. And I think most of the companies, not only pharmaceutical companies, most of the big companies should have support from uh, some, some of the parties. Yes, there are companies uh, only by specific parties, only by specific persons. And as, as far as I see, they are more into the, the bigger business, mm -hmm. not directly correlation with the, with the patients and the, the doctors. So the doctors and the patients are uh, like in the, in the, the, in the bottom of the, of the hierarchy. So they are the last line and they would be the victim as a consumer and the, the, the uh, customer for, for the product. I would say the, I, I couldn't see any kind of conflict between any kind of company and me personally or any psychiatrist because they are not on the level that obliged someone to uh, prescribe specific medication. It's only the doctor and the company. Another thing you brought up with me before was the polarization, the spinning of medical information that you experienced uh, when you were spokesperson for the MOH. And I was wondering how the information you were giving out was being politicized or spun by either party here and, and how you worked against that. Uh, the um, my biggest struggle was the the, the spread of the fake news, mm -hmm. and uh, we know scientifically that fake news is travels six times faster mm -hmm. than the actual news, and specifically COVID as a pandemic and a lot of conspiracy theories, and people would say if you drink alcohol you will not get COVID, and they would say uh, smokers are protective, and they would say the anti-malaria drugs. And these were the global issues. And concerning here, like uh, when I was in the in the ministry, the, uh, we did amazing job with the uh, collaboration with the WHO and in the Ministry of Health and other directors of health. We had a very good start in the beginning, and people were very committed to the to the protective measures. And we were one of the last countries to get the COVID in the area. And our first case was first of March in Soleimania. And uh, until the 1st of March, we had difficult time to convince people that we are still clean. We have no cases. They would say, you will hide it. And uh, Dr. Saman was saying, like, if there's a case, we want to know. Like, we don't want to hide it because if there's a case, it's better because we are sure we would get COVID because we are not different from the world. Mm -hmm. So, but there is no case. What shall we, we do? <laughs> like, just bring someone? And when we had the first case, we announced it. Then the other political parties said, no, there's no COVID. This is just, you want, You guys want to, people forget about the salary and financial crisis and other stuff. That's why you bring up COVID. And that's why when people try to protest, you are just say COVID, COVID. So, and as I said, because the it's a fake news. And again, it's it's like uh, how you say Tarwij in, in markets in, in a specific parties and in, in social media everyone has has a very very big sound and you as a doctor has the same uh, capacity as someone who is partially literate and uh, both of them just can do a like or comment something so it's not easy to control that it was the biggest trouble and the biggest challenge for me and for the ministry to, to face it and it was the, the 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 worst thing I could ever imagine like I was seeing the the, the pandemic in the country and people were talking about the stuff that was literally 
and and I'm sorry to say that some of them led to to death for for many people. Mm-hmm. How did that? How does that kind of uh, uh, partisanship and, and and fake news affect the psychiatric field? Uh, the psychiatry in, in general, the uh, the COVID has has not oh uh, not COVID. affected, but in in false news and fake news, yes, the our main problem is first with the traditional beliefs and traditional faith healers mm-hmm. and religious leaders. Uh, fortunately, now there are a lot of very high educated and uh, a lot of uh, like scientific uh, people who are in the field. Uh, personally, I have seen a lot of clients in the clinic. Uh, doctor, I went to someone who's religious and he said, this is not jinni, this is not sahar, this is not witches or something. You just have to go to a doctor. So this is really, really, uh, I'm, I'm really hopeful for that. But they, the other side is like uh, the 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 topic of witches and jinn and um, I don't know what hitting uh, with with uh, a piece of wood uh, reciting and listening to the Quran for eight hours mm-hmm. and then I'm I have no problem again with the religious support because in DSM five it's 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 really one of the the scientifically proved evidence that supports people and. Mentally, uh, we have l- better support and less uh, psychiatric problems in religious people. Mm-hmm. Suicide rate is far more less than in, in non-religious people. But again, this doesn't justify any kind of unscientific approach. And most of them forbid the clients to go to the doctors because they say doctors don't know about jinn. They don't believe about jinn and witches. So don't, do not go. Do not take medication. You get addicted. You get hooked on the medication. And by the way, this is also common in other scientific approaches. I have seen doctors in other specialties. Doctor, I don't want to be addicted on medication. Guys, whoever listens to that, psychiatric medications are not addictive. The psychiatrists treat addictive patients. They are not addicting people. Sometimes the problem with the illness is chronic, is forever, or comes and goes, just like hypertension, diabetes, someone with a cancer, someone with a heart disease. I would not say my mom is addicted to antihypertensive drug. She needs it because his her blood pressure cannot be controlled without medication. Some of people, their feelings, their emotions, their thoughts cannot be controlled without medication. It's not addiction. Addiction is something that you need more that affects your daily life in a negative way, and it has impact on every specific event and and aspect of your life. So there's a difference between ad- addiction and putting someone on medication to be treated. Talking about uh, another aspect of uh, religious and cultural pressure here, I want to discuss the different uh, psychiatric issues that women and men face mm. in Kurdistan. Yeah. If we could get into that a little more, uh, worldwide depression and, and depression specifically is more common in women, mm-hmm. just due to some kind of biological, maybe some kind of social or things they went through. But we have substance abuse more common in men, so uh, it's just the way the biology is, just like heart disease more common in men and breast cancer in women. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it has nothing to do with the weakness. It, have, it has nothing to do that faking or uh, being uh, acting because uh, I have seen a lot of these people uh, came with, with their wife or their sister or their mother and, doctor, can I speak for you, with you for, for a minute? I say, yes. 
and like when when she when she leaves the room doctor i think she's faking she needs something mm-hmm. does she said anything anything specific like when we talk with along with the client and it is it's hard to make them believe that she's not seeking anything probably the the it is an outcome of negligence being neglected but it's not all of the time sometimes it's just the disease is there and the way she she's been raised the way she the environment surrounds her and the environment surrounds the guy the person uh, concerning the the stigma is also more common in men unfortunately mm-hmm. because they see mental health illness as a sign of weakness and we have this masculine community again it's worldwide not here only that men are uh, are supposed to be strong and physically and mentally which is again the 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 strength is seeking help because if i cannot do something then i cannot and i should ask for help if i cannot lift this table it's not the sign of strength if, if i lift this table alone and end up having back pain and the same thing with the mental health so when you think you you cannot work properly you cannot feel good and it's okay that you are not feeling good but it's not okay to stay there just say i was strong it's just like someone who has broke his leg and say i'm strong i'll just make my leg fixed by itself same thing with my mental health so if i get depressed i should seek treatment either from psychiatrist psychotherapist or now fortunately available online as well i want to give you the opportunity as we close out here to give me an issue that we haven't talked about today because this is a vast field something that you think really needs to be focused on contextualized in a kurdish sense uh, in the field of psychiatry what what needs to be developed here in the future uh we have a state a statement in in who we say there is no health without mental health and this is absolutely has to be internalized by every single people like if you are if you're not concerned about mental health i don't think you can do anything about the health like i'm i'm just asking could you just give me one single disease in the all specialties that either mental health has an effect or they have ma- effect on the mental health you cannot say for example blood sugar raised in in stress the hypertension diabetes heart disease headache eye problem eating sleeping everything is related to mental health but when it can, when when you see in the reality the 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 people see the last doctor as a psychiatrist they go to internist they go to surgeon they go to gynecologist they go to pediatrician and all, after all of the they like hopelessly they go to the psychiatric and same mm-hmm. thing with the, with the authorities like could you just give me an example in the last 2 or 3 years you have seen something done by the psychiatrist by the ministry of health by the hospital concerning the mental health in any public media any campaigns anything so i think the mental health is not priority here and in in iraq as well and in in whole world is getting a little bit better in developed countries because they know where the issue comes from and the in in investing only 1 dollar in mental health it will just come back 5 dollars in 10 months so i'll just encourage anyone who listens to this post podcast that literally there's no health without mental health well dr mohammed khoshnaw thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate your time thank you for having me cheers
I'd like to thank Dr. Mohammed for taking the time before he flew to the UK to speak with me. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network. You can check out our podcast on kurdistanin.net. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us at info at kurdistanin.net. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. Inside Kurdistan.